Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about the word strong. I'd like you to shout it out. Strong. We're believing that God will make us strong in spirit, strong in heart. And strong in prayer. Here is our definition of a strong person profile. A person who is marked by great strength. I want you all to say out loud, that's me. That's right. You're going to be marked by great strength. Moral power. Abundant resources. Superior in faith. Prayer and passion. Forceful when moving forward against obstacles. Tenacious and tough when fulfilling God's will to be strong. We talked about being strong and fervent prayer. Strong and fervent prayer is marked by a great intensity. We've already compared intensity to lukewarmness and other things, so you know what I mean. The spirit of prayer, fervency of prayer, that is given by a wholehearted person, a person that has intensity and passion, not shallow, not lazy, and they're praying, boiling over with a red-hot intensity, not lukewarm. Strong in spiritual battle. A person who is strong in spiritual battle has sincerely surrendered their life to God. Believing God has given everything needed to be victorious in the spiritual realm and to be strong in the stand against all forces of darkness. We've gone through and talked about the network of evil powers, all about the names of the devil why we should be strong in spiritual battle. Now let's move into preparing for spiritual battle. How do you personally, individually prepare for spiritual battle? Here's how. You must believe the invisible world exists. And you must make a definite decision to do all that is necessary to be ready for the spiritual battle. So it begins with your worldview and the knowledge of the scriptures that you actually admit to yourself and do more than admit, you proclaim, declare, and acknowledge, okay, there is a war, there are invisible forces, these forces can be very bad and evil, they're out to destroy my life, so I need to do all that is necessary to be ready for the spiritual battle. You live in the presence of evil powers that seek to destroy your life, there is no truce, there's no hiding. There's no retreating. All the armor that you put on, the one place that is not covered is your back. Why? Because God never meant you to retreat. God called you to face the enemy head on, to stand your ground, put on the armor of God, not to call a truce, not to run from it, not to make excuses about it, but to face the evil powers that are out to destroy your life, the world, the flesh, and the devil are out to destroy your life. Therefore, you must be awakened in battle. Awakened in battle means that you will awake to and cease your spiritual sleeping. Sometimes the church, through the world's music and the world's lukewarm drug, can go to sleep. So that the church has no passion about fighting back the evil powers because they rationalize or they intellectualize or their worldview changes what the Scripture teaches. And so they relax their spiritual muscles toward that thing, even the church. And so the church can be 
in a place where it's not awake and doesn't see the enemy. It sees the world doing things, but it really doesn't recognize evil forces or networks or the powers that are really at work. And the church begins to go to sleep. The Bible says, knowing the strategic season, that it is an hour now. Everyone say now. Now for you to awake. Time is running out. Wake up. Turn to someone around you and just kind of shout at them a little bit and say, wake up. You know, when you have to get your children out of bed for school when they were younger or for some other reason, and you have to shake someone to wake them up. Some people wake up easily. Some people, you have to practically drag them out of bed, drag them down the hall before they wake up. What kind of a person are you when it comes to spiritual wake up? You're the kind of person that just the alarm goes off or just a phone alarm or, or someone whispers in your ear or you just automatically wake up. I haven't used an alarm clock for I don't know how many years. I, when I travel... I have my own body alarm clock. It doesn't matter what time it is in the culture. I have my own alarm clock. I wake up at the same time. I just tell my mind and my spirit when to wake up, and I wake up. And so I know you can discipline yourself to wake up and not wait for someone to shake you or wait for some alarm clock. Sometimes people use two or three alarm clocks. Then they have a snooze button, and then they have another way, and then they have to have someone call them, and then they have to have... Come on, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you know the time. You know it's time to get up. You wake up, and you know it's time to put on the armor of God. It's a strategic season in your life and the life of people. So wake up. Can I hear an amen? amen? Spiritually. Here's a prayer I want you to pray. It's on the screen. I want everyone just to pray it out loud with me. Let's start in this particular message just to make sure that the ground that we stand on is clean. If you stand on dirty ground, that is unconfessed sin, unclean sin, garments that are filthy like in Zechariah 3 when the enemy comes in to rebuke the man and bring condemnation, the angel rebukes the devil that comes in to bring that on the prophet. But... He tells him, change your garments. Make sure he has no ground to accuse you. Sometimes we don't change enough of our attitude or our life or cleanse some things in us that need to be cleansed so that the enemy still has a way to invade our life. Here's a prayer that's simple, but I just want you to pray it out loud. Are you ready? Father, create a pure heart and a steadfast spirit within me, cleansing me and blotting out my transgression by the power of Jesus' blood. Do not keep a record of my sin because I have truly repented and turned away from my wicked ways. You are my healer and restorer. And I close the door to the enemy today and align myself to the cross of Christ. I am free. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. If you believe that, say a big amen. Amen. Now, personal steps you would take for preparing for warfare. First of all, believe you are at war. And the enemy has purpose to destroy your life, come in to invade, take ground, do whatever he can. Believe that. Second, believe you're a target. Even if you think you're a quiet target or not even worth going after, you still are a target. Third, believe that you can lose ground. Believe that you can lose ground. And the enemy will quietly and persistently take every inch of your ground that you'll give up. And when you give it up, he'll take ownership of it. You give it up, he'll put his sign on it. You give it up, he'll put his value system on it. You give it up, he'll put his thoughts on it. Every inch. 
Every time you give up an attitude, every time you give up a confession, every time you give up into a carnal habit or a carnal way or something that's ungodly, you're giving place to the devil. And every time you give place, he'll take more of it. That's, remember, one of his, his uh, ways and methods is Second Corinthians 2, it says he will always take advantage. It means that he will always want more. He's never satisfied. He will always take the ground you will give up. If you give up ground in your marriage, he'll come and take that ground. If you give up ground to unforgiveness, he'll come in and help that unforgiveness ground become bitter ground. You give up ground to an immoral thought, he'll come in and help that thought become an immoral deed. He'll always take more ground. You have to look at your life and ask yourself a very, very true and wise question. Have you given up ground? Have you allowed the enemy to stake any of your house? Have you allowed the enemy to come in and take just a piece of your mind or a piece of your spirit or a piece of your emotions? What have you kept that you know good and well? It doesn't take a theologian. It doesn't take a prophet to come to you that you should let it go. It's not something you should bring close to your life. It's not something you should hang on to. You should let it go. If you don't let it go, he's taking ground in your life. When he starts taking that ground, he'll persistently take a little bit more and a little bit more. That's why sins are hooked together like a chain. That's what Isaiah says. It's like a rope. It's like a cord. You weave them together. He never stops. He just keeps weaving. If it's anger, he'll weave in some more. It will become deep-seated anger. And then it will become maybe violent or hatred. And then it will become abuse. And he'll just keep weaving more sins. Based on that one ground that you've given him, he just keeps weaving in and taking more and more. Believe that defeat is costly. If you don't make a decision to be strong and ready for battle, you'll be defeated and believe it. The consequences are costly. You cannot sin without paying the price. Say, Frank, well, that doesn't make sense. It says that Jesus paid the price for my sin. Jesus paid the price for my sin to be forgiven, for my sin to be reconciled, for my sins to be cleansed. But when I sin, there is a consequence in my flesh and in my mind. If I shoot my toe off with a shotgun and then say, Jesus, I'm very sorry because that was an uh, act of anger and stupidity. I ask you to forgive me. Jesus will say, I forgive you, Frank, but you will go without a toe. And every time I look at the toe, I'm reminded about the grace of God that he forgave me, but I'm still missing a toe. When you sin, when you do things in life, there are certain consequences that nothing can turn around. You will pay the price. Now, there will be grace to pay the price. You will have forgiveness even though the sin has been committed. But if you murder someone and you go to prison, you can ask forgiveness and Christ will forgive you as a murderer. But the judge will not say, oh, you've asked forgiveness. We'll let you go home free now. You're out of jail. It won't happen. You will pay the price for that act of disobedience. When you think about that, I want you to weigh the consequences of what could happen if you go your own way, make your own decisions, resist the wisdom of God, Go across the book and violate the principles of God. There's always a cost to pay. And this is the sad thing. Not only do you pay a cost, but everybody around you has to pay something too. Sin does not only just cost me, it costs my spouse. It costs my children. 
I could go into a story right now. Everybody would be aware of it because it's back up on the news again. That story is a horrible story because that man has cost not just his reputation, his ministry and everyone else in that church, but his wife and his children, his boys, the name. Will, will be a consequence, a cost. He has put something out there that everyone is paying for, not just one person. Sin is costly. And the devil will always tell you, it's not that bad. You can get away with it. Nobody will pay the price. The consequence isn't so big deal. Remember, Jesus is very nice. He'll forgive you. All of that is true. But believe me, the devil will take advantage and he will never, ever tell you the price tag. He will only tell you, fulfill your pleasure, do what you want. But the price tag is not something he will talk about. All right, here's some methods that the enemy will use to gain ground in your life. Are you ready? Number one, he'll snatch away the preached word, the word of God from your heart before it can take root. Right now, as you're sitting there listening... Many things will happen in your spirit and heart as you listen to the word because the Holy Spirit's working all the time. My words are only a vehicle for the Holy Spirit to go deeper with even thoughts I don't give you, sentences I don't say, revelations I don't unveil. Why, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit is to take the thoughts of God and the word of God and as they land on your ground, for you to take them, even though I'm talking on this level and I'm parallel to your mind and heart, you're on another level and as you apply what is being said to your situation, to your life, to your circumstance, to what's going on right now, you will begin to apply the word differently than even I would tell you to apply it. That's the Holy Spirit. But if there's no transformation of that word or assimilation into your life, as you listen to me, your mind will say, that's a good thought. That is something I need. I have violated God there. You know, the enemy did take some ground yesterday, last week, a month ago. You know, there's some baggage I'm dragging along I should let go with. All those thoughts will come up. My marriage needs to be worked on. I should never speak that way to my kids. I should stop the cheating. I shouldn't look at that computer screen like that. I really shouldn't have such a negative mouth. I should not gossip so much. I kind of exaggerate the truth. And you start looking at all the areas where the enemy has come in. Your mind and spirit will bring them up. But if you don't plant them in your heart with a firm conviction that you will repent of the sin, you will get it cleansed from your life, you will not do it anymore, you will leave this room right now and go out and begin to live a new attitude and a new value system, then the word has taken root. But if you don't do that, you hear the word, you have emotions about the word, and then the enemy comes in and snatches the word up before it ever takes roots. How many have ever had happen just exactly what I just said? Most of us. Matthew 13, 19. When anyone hears the word of the king in Matthew 13, 19 and does not understand it, that is, does not grasp it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown. And I think this is interesting. What was sown in his heart. So it has gone to a certain place. It's actually right on the doorstep of the heart. What he has sown right there, the word of God is right there. The enemy comes in, snatches it up. Oh, it doesn't matter that much. Shake that off. Well, why don't you think about it later? You know, you can write that letter some other time. You don't really need to take it that serious. He'll snatch it up. Number two, he'll isolate you from church, friends, and family. The way of the devil 
And all the hordes of hell is isolation, fragmentation. Get your life to get away from core value people, to get away from church. You think it's the Holy Spirit telling you to not go to church on the weekends? Or you think it's the Holy Spirit telling you not to join a small group? Don't join a small group. Those people will pray for you. They'll ask things of you. You'll be accountable to them. Uh, those people will bring you food when you're hungry and help you pay, pay your bill when you don't have the money and pray for you when you have a marriage crisis. You, you better not go to that group because you'll get help. You think that's the Holy Spirit? It's the devil that comes in to isolate you from accountability, from shepherding from pastoral systems, from those things that could actually bring some help into your life. Psalm 68 and verse 6, God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. Number three, he tried to maneuver you into a place of rebellion against God. That opens up deception. Rebellion on any level opens up deception. First. Samuel 15 and verse 23 says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Take the two words, rebellion and stubbornness. Stubbornness would not be that big on a lot of people's list, but in the Bible it says it opens the door to something that's pretty heavy. And it's very binding. Rebellion opens up an occult realm, witchcraft. Spiritual realms of deception and activity. You would never think that if I rebel against mom and dad, if I rebel against authority, if I set myself up as God and resist everyone else, I'm still in control. No, you're not. You've opened yourself up to the spirit of witchcraft, which is the underworld, the occult, and those spirits that will bring in what deception, even stubbornness uh, in the area of life, in self-will can open up an iniquity in you that will cause you to be bound in areas that you should be free in. What is iniquity? Anomia, the word concept itself for iniquity is simply a line is drawn and a person who has anomia, lawlessness is the word, is a person who always steps over the line. They step over the line. They always feel they have a right, a privilege, and they are special enough that they can fudge the line every time they step over the line. And so as they step over the line, pretty soon the line gets dimmer and they keep stepping further. And pretty soon they say, what line? I didn't step over any line. I'm a law to myself. That's the spirit of stubbornness. And that stubbornness will get you into a place where you're actually faced with a huge, dark, black line that you should not step over. Like adultery, fornication, homosexuality, cheating, lying, stealing, those things that are blatantly wrong in the Scripture. But you still have the attitude that you can cross lines. You're, You're a line jumper. It's okay for you. You can get away with it. Then you start filling your cup of iniquity with those kind of lines that you cross over before you know it. Your cup is filled. In the book of Revelation, there's two cups. One is called the cup of iniquity. One is called the cup of prayer. When the cups get filled, this is what it says in Revelation, then God turns the cup over and dumps it over the person, the home, the state, the city, or the nation. Everybody has a cup. You have a cup this morning. You have a cup that you're filling right now. That cup of iniquity is your cup that you feel in your life, which is the 
sins or the rebellions or the breaking of principles or the stepping over lines or, or the, the little things that you would do with your carnalities and habit where you fill this cup in your life and really never cleanse it. And when that cup gets filled, it says that God will dump it upon your life. And when he dumps it upon your life, it can result in some wrath and judgment and some unpleasant things that happen to your life. It's like a man who kicks against a thorn or a man who goes his own way. There's something that happens in the life of the person. I would say to you today to take your cup of iniquity, if you have one, and you have filled it with any kinds of rebellions and disobediences and stubborn, stubbornnesses uh, and anything like that, that you would take the cup and you would dump it at the cross of Christ. Come on, hold your cup up. You got it? Come on, everyone out loud, say in Jesus' name. Whatever's in my cup. Now, now just hold your cup there. Pause. I'm on pause. You hold your cup. If there's something in your life that you've never confessed of or you're stressed out about or you know it's a secret thing or you know it's a a, a blot on you, this is a great time for you with the spirit of grace and Jesus say, okay, I know it exactly what's in that cup. My friends don't know, my wife doesn't know, my dad doesn't know, my pastors don't know, but I know what's in that cup. If you do, In your spirit, just name it. Say, Jesus, right now I put that rebellion, that disobedience, that deception, that opening up to the occult, that opening up to witchcraft, that that thing that happened morally, that thing that happened in my mind, that bitterness, whatever it is, put it in that cup. Now say aloud, in Jesus' name, everything in this cup, I'm going to dump out and put it under the cross of Christ. I'm praying for the blood of Jesus to cleanse me, break off all habits, break off everything in me that has caused me to put anything in this cup. Now, in Jesus' name, I pour it out at the cross. Now, pour it out. Give it all to Jesus, every bit of it. Got it all there? Now, somebody shout hallelujah. All right, now, number four, moving you to doubt the word of God. He doesn't have too many new tricks. These are his methods. His first method of attack is to get you to begin to doubt the word of God. Well, it doesn't really say that. Other people have prayed it didn't work. You know, the Bible has a lot of errors in it. I heard somebody teaching the other day, and they said the Bible had hundreds of errors in it. And, you know, I don't know if you can really believe every translation. And now I'm not sure that people can actually quote every scripture and believe it's the living word of God. The devil will get in and begin to pound on your mind until he removes your faith in the word of God. So you will not even take a promise and put it up in front of you and say, that's what the word says. That's what God says. And I believe the word of God. Let everyone else be a liar, but I believe the word of God. Can I hear an amen? You better get a hold of the word. Number five, he'll corrupt your simplicity in knowing and loving Christ. Knowing and loving Christ is simple. It's not complex, not rocket science. Spend time with Jesus. Talk with Jesus. Keep clean air with Jesus. Love Jesus. Spend time, quality time, every day with Jesus. It's simple, people. Not a complex thing to become like Christ. Spend some time with Him. Quality, quiet time with Jesus. Number six, He always attacks after a blessing. After a victory, after a breakthrough, after open heavens, after a miracle, after a long-awaited answer to prayer, long-awaited open door, It's when he comes in, like with Joseph and like with uh, Jacob and like with Moses and like right through the Bible. 
He always comes in as soon as you are enjoying the breakthrough. He slides in and brings in idolatry and like he did with Gideon. What a massive, wonderful miracle the man brought to his nation. But then he immediately stepped to the left, made the ephod into an idol and had everybody worshiping the very thing that brought him the voice of God. When there's a victory, more covering, more spiritual sensitivity because the enemy will take advantage of it. Now, here are eight words I want you to write down. Just write these eight words down. Eight words that will help you be ready for battle. Number one, submit. Have a spirit of submission. Align yourself to God, to the Bible, to spiritual authority. It's simple and it works. Number two, prepare by putting on the whole armor of God. One of my favorite prayers that I pray quite often is the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. I put on every piece of the armor through prayer because it says put on the whole armor of God. And so I pray about the helmet of salvation and how it can protect my sozo is the helmet. Salvation sozo is deliverance and protection from all the wicked darts of the enemy and all the, the thoughts he would like to throw my way. And I, I put on the shoes of peace and make sure I'm reconciled with everybody and I'm holding my ground there. And I, I, I put on the breastplate of righteousness and I put, uh, pick up that shield of faith and that sword of the spirit and, and I start doing it in prayer. And as I do, there's always one piece of the armor that gets quickened to me to go deeper in. Because I need to pray about it. Number three, resist. Go on the offense. Get off the ropes, throw some punches. Go on the offense. Number four, position yourself. Stand with authority that God has given you. Square your shoulders and don't give in. Position yourself. Number five, stand. Number six, believe. Believe that no weapon formed against you will prosper. Believe that God is in control. Believe. Number seven, receive. Open up your spirit and let supernatural strength come in. Number eight, declare. I declare quite often for myself, my home, my family, and my children by name on a daily basis. I declare the kingdom of God over their life. I declare these things right here. God is my protection and their protection. God is my hedge. I pray the hedge prayer a lot. Lord, build a hedge around my life and my wife, and my children, our church and our leaders. Then I pray for the leaders' children by name. And I pray for the staff and I pray for the elders and I pray for everyone as I have listed out. I, I go in the Holy Spirit and I build a hedge for them. And I make sure if there's some kind of a medical problem that we didn't let the hedge down or some kind of sickness or some kind of weirdness going on, I go to battle for them and say, Lord, lift a hedge and right now build that around their life so that the enemy cannot get in. God is my refuge and my fortress. I don't live this in myself. I live it because of God's strength. God is my deliverer, one who sets people free. And God is my defender. He knows how to guard my back. I face forward, let him guard my back. If I would have had time, I would have showed you a couple shots of the quarterback getting blitzed. How many have ever seen a quarterback get blitzed? How many have seen a quarterback get blindsided when he's about to pass and some big 500-pound lineman tackles him from behind and just 
slams him in the mud. And, you know, his helmet's got dirt in it. And he gets up. You can't even believe the guy can even move after this refrigerator freezer guy has just tackled him, especially when you're not even looking. Sometimes that's what happens with us. We're not even looking, and the enemy will just come in and just take us out. I want you to know that even when I'm not looking, I have a God who is guarding my back. He's my defender. He's my lineman. He's the one who takes those people out. And then he puts his finger in their face and say, you ain't getting our quarterback. I like it when they do that. Shows an attitude. Come on. Our God is able to defend, protect, hedge, lift up, do for us what we can't do for ourselves. 